Good morning, everyone. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25, where we'll be this morning uh, doing several sermons here in a series together leading up to Easter from the Gospel of Matthew, looking at Jesus' parables. And this is one of the good ones today, one of them that's probably familiar to you. How many of you are doing double duty? You were at the 830 service too. Let me see your hands. Yeah, God bless you. Quite a number of us uh, are, are, are doing two shifts today. Uh, it was a great, great 830 service with the youth this morning from their Disciple Now weekend. And i uh, delighted uh, all day long to give this day to the Lord. Matthew chapter 25 uh, is the parable of the talents, it's called often, or the parable of the three servants, as, as I would call it today. You've probably heard this, this parable several times in your life. I, I know I have, but you don't always realize where this fits. And as I've been trying to tell you, when you're reading the parables of Jesus, you don't get to just interpret it any way you want. You really need to look at the scripture, figure out who Jesus is talking to, and how this story fits into the context of what Jesus is saying. And that helps you understand the, the point of the story. In this particular instance, look at the, 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 the whole section there in chapter 25. Jesus is telling parables about the kingdom of God, but most importantly, he's telling parables of judgment. In this particular section, he's told the parable of the ten bridesmaids, and then he tells the parable of the talents of the three servants, and then he tells the, the story of the sheep and the goats. So understand, Jesus is talking about judgment here, and he's doing so in response to a question that the disciples asked way back in chapter 24. And their question was, Tell us about the end of the age. Tell us about the end of the world. How is everything going to be finished up? And this is the sermon Jesus is preaching, answering their question. And this is one of the stories that he tells. This is a parable of judgment. We know as Christians that there's only one way to go to heaven. And that way is I thought we all knew as Christians that there's one way to go to heaven. And that way is it's Jesus, one way to heaven, and that is through faith in Christ. Jesus forgives our sins and makes it possible for us to have a home in heaven. But if you do not know Jesus and understand there's one way to heaven, that is Jesus, but there are a lot of ways to go to hell. There are a lot of ways to go to hell, and this particular story tells one of the ways that people will be condemned to hell. And it's really pretty interesting when you look at the story in that context. It's the parable of the talents, and it begins in Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. Uh, this is uh, the word of the Lord. Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver. Of course, the, the word in the Greek there is talents. He gave five bags, five talents of silver to one, two bags or talents of silver to another, and one talent of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their, say the word with me, abilities. He gave and dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earn five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five talents of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest and I have earned five more. 
Master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. What the master says there is, come and enter into my joy. Let's celebrate, enter into my happiness. Verse 22. The servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two talents, two bags of silver to invest, and I have earned two more. Master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops, I didn't plant and gathered crops, I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with the ten bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do, say the word, nothing, from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I love infant dedications. I just love that so much. I love that moment. I love watching little Avery stand there and sing with her grandmother. I I love that. I love children because children always, always represent potential and possibility. We have no idea what little Avonlea will grow to be, but it's amazing and exciting to think about. The sky is the limit. It's all possibility. Which uh, reminds me, this past week, I I hope you don't mind, I took the liberty of talking to your first grade teacher. I spoke with your first grade teacher, and we talked about you back then, but back in the day. At times, I couldn't even believe that we were talking about the same person. Your teacher says that, that, that when you were young, when you were in her class, that you loved to draw. She says that she would say, who wants to draw? And your hand would shoot up. You couldn't wait to draw a picture. You love to draw, she says. And you love to sing songs. She says that back then, sometimes after nap time, she would go to the piano and start to play, and all the kids would start to sing. And you would stand, and you would just sing your voice out. You would just sing and sing. You loved to sing back then. You used to draw, and you would sing, and you loved to act in plays. Do you remember? Because your teacher remembers. You used to act in plays. If it was time to perform, time to get on stage, you would get on stage, and you would dress like a little duck, or you would dress like a little pig. You loved to wear costumes. You loved to dress up. And you would get on the stage, and you would act, and you would dance. You would do whatever you loved to do all of those things back then, your teacher says. Which kind of makes me wonder, what happened to you? 
What happened to you? I'm wondering about that child that used to love to sing. That child with the sweet little legs who used to love to dance and color pictures and used to read and and write poetry. That child who would play musical instruments. I'm wondering what happened to that little girl, that little boy who used to be so creative and, and courageous. I'm just wondering what happened to you. Honestly, I read this story and it makes me look at you and wonder what wonderful things have been buried in you. When did you bury those things? And why? Jesus says if you want to understand what the kingdom of heaven is like, it's sort of like what happens when, when think of a millionaire, a, a millionaire who's going to leave town, but as he leaves, he decides to entrust his fortune, or part of it anyway, in the hands of three of his servants. And so he calls them in, and as the scripture says, to so the first one, he gives them five talents. Now that word kind of throws us for a loop, because for us, we usually think that talent means what? Some sort of special gift. Either you can sing or play an instrument or, or perhaps dance or whatever it is that you do. You can work on cars or you can bake cakes. It's a talent. We think of a talent as some sort of special endowment, a, a, a gift, something that makes you unique, something that you can do to perform or something that, that seems useful or, or entertaining. But understand, that word talent, when Jesus used it, it didn't really mean that. It was simply a unit of measure. Measurement. And it was about 75 pounds, and the word comes from the Greek word, which means to lift. So we're just talking about weight. And a talent was about 75 pounds of, of, of coins, or in this case, silver. So understand, the first thing, the reason we use the word talent as we do, when we think of talent as a special endowment, a special gift, an ability, we get that from the Scripture. This scripture influenced the English language so that after Jesus told this story, people began to think of a talent as something special that God gives you, something that you're responsible to use or or perhaps lose. So, So recognize, before Jesus tells this story, a talent was just a measure of weight, but after he tells this story, it influenced our language, and now a talent means so much more. But in Jesus' case, he gave the first man five talents. In other words, five times 75 pounds. And, and one talent was about 15 to 20 years wages for the average person. So understand, these are enormous amounts. So enormous that it really makes the amount beside the point. But to the first, he gives him five talents. It's equivalent of like a hundred years of wages. And this is what he gives the first man. And he puts it in his care to, to entrust it to the first servant. To the second servant, he gives two talents, which again, is not as much as the five-talent guy, but still, it's an extraordinary, extraordinary amount of money. It is so extraordinary that it just makes the amount beside the point. Everyone in this story receives a lot, even though they don't all receive the same. And the last servant brought forward, he receives one talent, which again, 75 pounds of silver, it's the equivalent of 20 years wages. He doesn't receive as much as the others, but even the one who receives a little receives a lot. You get that part? Everyone receives a lot. 
But the point of the story is, they still don't receive the same. Even though they all receive a lot, they don't receive the same. The master is very discerning and very careful when he entrusts his money into the hands of his servants. And he doesn't divide it equally for one reason. What's the reason? He divides in proportion to their ability. He sees different capabilities among the servants. He doesn't give them the same because they don't have the same abilities. So it's not exactly equal. That burns some of you up, doesn't it? That burns you up. Because that's not how we think these days. That's not at all the sensibilities of our day and age. I played farm league baseball way back 100 years ago. When, to be real honest... Everybody didn't get to play the same amount of time. I know kids these days don't even know what that would mean. But what it meant for me was I sat on the bench a lot. Most of the time, to be honest, and also to be very honest, that's where I belonged. I stunk. I was not a good baseball player. I didn't practice. I never practiced. And to be honest, I didn't enjoy baseball. I don't know why I was there. I don't know why. But I spent most of my time on the bench. I do remember once getting called up to bat. And I remember Sarah thinking, I am not going to let this ball get by me. I am not going to let this ball get by me. And God is my witness, that ball did not get by me. It popped me right in the mouth. That pitcher leaned back, he threw it, and I'm just dumb enough to stand there. It popped me right in the mouth. Popped me right in the mouth. I mean, blood started flowing. My lips swelled up like overcooked hot dogs immediately. I mean, I just swelled up. And I just sort of stood there over the, over the plate and let the blood drip. There by the plate, there was some gravel in the dust, just white gravel. And the catcher screamed, there's his teeth. And I thought, sure enough, there's my teeth. There are my teeth. I didn't bat very much after that. I would have batted. I wasn't afraid. I just didn't get asked to bat. Why didn't the coach ask me to bat very much? Because I stunk. I stunk. I really was not a good player. And my coach, who's a very good man, still alive, God bless him, he doesn't remember that he was my coach. And I'm not reminding him now. He does not remember that he was my coach because I was not memorable. But at the same time, he had a philosophy. And to be honest, my parents shared the same philosophy. We all understood in those days that if I could play better, I would get to play more. If I could play better, I'd play more. Magically, I grew up and I have a son and we started playing ball. But I found out real quickly, it's not like it was in the old days. On the, all the teams that my son played on, the philosophy was what? Everybody plays the, everybody plays the same. There's that kid out there who eats and drinks and breathes the sport. He loves to play, and he plays like a champ, but he's going to play just about as much as the kid who plays like a dork. Do you understand? It's a very different sensibility these days. We like everything to be equal. Everybody plays the same amount of time, and everybody gets the same trophy at the end. That's how we think. That's what we like. Let's keep it equal. The hard part about that is that's not how life is. That's not how life works. And to be real honest with you, at the risk of devastating you, that's not how God operates either. 
It's not how the kingdom of the world operates, and it's not how the kingdom of God operates. In this story, this parable, the master represents God. And the master gives everyone a lot. Even the one that seems to receive a little, he still receives a lot. But the point is they don't all get the same. The servants don't get the same opportunities. They don't get the same responsibilities. They don't get the same amount of wealth entrusted to them because the master knows their abilities. And he's watching their abilities. And as they grow and as they mature and as they demonstrate that they are faithful and trustworthy, he'll give them more. But you have to grow into that. You have to, in some ways, earn that responsibility. Faithfulness leads to more faithfulness in the kingdom of God. My problem and your problem is, is I start looking at what the master has given me. And obviously, he didn't give me one single teaspoons full of sports ability. I have none. If you throw a ball at me, I will close my eyes and duck my head like a girl. Now, I apologize to the girls. I'm worse than the girls. I, I'm scared of balls. I cannot dribble. I, I trip over my feet. I don't have any of that. And there were moments in my life when I looked at others who were so blessed with athletic ability. And I wanted that. I would think, why in the world can't I have that? People in the world just absolute bundles of talent. And we compare ourselves to them. And we think, why can't I have all that they have? Goodness, there are people who can sing and dance and cook and clean and fix cars and do whatever else they seem to want to do. And the rest of us, we're kind of like one talent people, and we haven't even found that talent yet. You understand? My job is not to look at what I have and compare it to what you have. As a matter of fact, my job is not to look and count your talents or count what God has given you and then count my own and start wondering why it's not equal. That's not my job. My job and your job is to be very responsible with what God gives me. It is not a matter of what God has given me or how much. The important thing is whatever God gives me, I put it to work. I make the best of it. I make the most of it. So today, in reading the scripture, the question for you is, how much has God given me? How much has God, that is not your question. Your question is, what God has given me, am I putting it to work, or am I burying it? Are you putting it to work, or are you burying it? That is your question. It's interesting because if, if you sort of do the math, say the guy that has the two talents at the beginning, again, it's an enormous amount. He has two talents, but the other guy has one. There's really not that much difference between the two-talent guy and the one-talent guy, at least how they start out. But at the end, the difference is enormous. At the end, the one that starts out with two has doubled, and then he ends up getting even more. At the end, it's the difference between more and more and more for the two-talent guy and down to nothing for the one who started out with the single talent. Do you understand that they start out with the same kind of potential, but they end up in very, very different places? What's the difference? What makes the real difference between these two servants? It, it's really rather simple. It's called faithfulness. 
It's called faithfulness. When the master comes back and takes the account and begins to evaluate the work of his servants, he's looking for faithfulness. He praises them for their faithfulness. It's a very simple but important spiritual principle that we learn from this parable. And it's just that principle that I would call progressive obedience or progressive faithfulness. It's that idea that that in the kingdom of God, faithfulness leads to more faithfulness. Responsibility leads to more responsibility. Obedience leads to more obedience. It's, It's progressive faithfulness. It's when the master says, you have been faithful in a little, so now I'm going to set you over much. You prove yourself faithful in the small things, God is able to set you over the big things. Once more, that's not how we operate. That ain't how we roll anymore. Have you noticed? We want a shortcut from where we are to where we want to be. We really don't like that idea of being very, very faithful in the small things. Y'all remember the the old rock band Van Halen? You remember? It's okay. You you can remember. I I understand. I, I, I was in high school then too. Van Halen was a rock band if you don't understand. And in theological circles, there is a spiritual principle called the Van Halen principle. The Van Halen principle. And it goes back to the way Van Halen used to do their concerts. When Van Halen would be coming into a town, they would send to the concert organizers a long list of requirements. This is everything Van Halen wanted in place before they came to do the show. You with me? And that list was enormous and very, very technical. They actually would define the lights that they wanted and where they would be hanging and from what bars. And they would want to make sure that the bars there were were strong enough to support the weight of the lights. And same with the speakers and the cords and all of the equipment. They would specify the size of the stage and the amount of weight that the stage would have to support. And then they would dictate the placement of all of the speakers and all of the cords and all of the equipment. It was a list as long as your leg, but somewhere at the bottom of the list, Van Halen would always say that they wanted in their dressing room a big bowl of M&Ms. And they wanted every single brown M&M picked out. I'm not making this up. They wanted every single brown M&M picked out. People used to criticize them for that. They would say, who do they think they are? Ooh, big rock stars, big divas. They think they're so special, don't like brown M&Ms. And and they took a lot of heat for it until they explained why they did that. Do you know why they did that? Because they really weren't going to be able to inspect all of the lights and all of the stage and all of the equipment. And their very lives were at stake. The equipment needed to be exactly as they said. The stage needed to be exactly as they said. Their lives depended on that, not to mention the show. But there was no way they could check everything. So they put the M&M thing in the contract. And they knew what? If they walk in and they find a big bowl of M&Ms with every single brown M&M taken out, that they could trust that everything else was done. The Van Halen principle in theological circles. Don't you understand? 
that in some ways that, that is a very important principle, that, that many of us, it's not so much that we're failing at the big things in life, we are failing in the little things. It's the brown M&Ms of your life that you're missing. You, you somehow and I somehow often miss the obedience in the smallest of things. There's a guy not too long ago who uh, I had the privilege of talking to. He feels called to ministry, and he wants very, very badly to be a pastor of a great big church. But he's really frustrated because he says, God just won't give it to me. Why won't God open doors for me? Why can't I get a church? And I feel for him. I think that's horrible. Until I started talking to him, I said, well, brother, tell me, where do you go to church now? He said, well, I'm, I'm kind of between churches, kind of between churches. How long have you been between churches? Well, ever since we moved here two, two, three years ago. You haven't gone to church in three years? No, between churches, between churches. Well, you know what I think, and this is just what I think. Don't quote me on this, but what I think is God is not going to give that man a church until that man goes to church. Did you understand? There is this basic principle of being faithful in small things. He wants God to give him something big, but he is not faithful in the small thing. If you can't lead yourself to church, you're never going to lead a congregation at church. You understand? I was visiting a guy who, who was really having hard times and really struggling financially. And I said, tell me how I can pray for you. He said, just pray that God would give me a, a mowing business. I would, I, I would love to have a mowing business if I could just get 10 yards to mow. Pray that God will find me 10 yards to mow. I said, okay, I'll pray for you. And then I opened his front door and looked out and said, found one. This guy's yard was, was weeds up to your knees. Is God going to give him 10 yards to mow when he won't mow the yard he has? Are you following me here? Are you smelling what I'm stepping in here? These are people who actually think that God should give them something large, something great. But they're not even proving faithful in the smallest details of their lives. And that too often is exactly how you and I are. We want shortcuts. We don't necessarily want to prove ourselves faithful in the small things. Charles Stanley, who is pastor, of, of course, of one of the largest churches in, in, in America and a great pastor. But you understand, in the days before he was a pastor of a church of thousands and thousands, he was pastor of a church of maybe dozens and dozens. But Charles Stanley said at that point, God showed him that if he was ever going to pastor thousands and thousands, he needed to preach to his dozen as if they were a thousand. You, you'd be faithful in small things. It's the principle. The master says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Because you have proven faithful over these small things, now I'm going to set you over much. Come, enter into my happiness. Isn't that beautiful? It's progressive faithfulness. You wonder why your life is stuck. You wonder why God doesn't seem to open doors for you. You wonder why God isn't letting you teach Sunday school, perhaps, or God isn't letting you teach or, or be in the spotlight, or for some reason you're not getting what you want. I would just encourage you to examine your present faithfulness. God's not going to set you up to teach if you don't read your own Bible. Do you understand? God simply is not going to operate like that. Faithfulness has a kind of progression to it. We, we graduate, we grow through our Christian lives. And as we are faithful, and as we do what God asks us to do in small things, 
eventually we will find ourselves set over great things. But there's no shortcut from here to there. You just be faithful in every small thing. Master was away for a long time, the story says, and when he came back, he called the five-talent guy and the two-talent guy and then the one-talent guy. One-talent guy, of course, is the fellow who was afraid, and that's what he says, I, I was afraid but because I know you, Master. I know how you are. You're a harsh man, a harsh man, and I've seen you, and I know that you're the kind of man you come and, and, and you take what's not even yours. You're the kind of man that will come and harvest the crop or you didn't even plant anything. I, I know you. I know you're kind, and you're a harsh man, and so I, out of fear, I didn't want to disappoint you. I, I took what you gave me and I have buried it. I have buried it. And ever since you left, I've kept an eye on it. I've buried it. I have played it safe and I've kept it safe. And now everything you gave me to the very last penny, here it is. It's yours. You gave me one talent. Here's one talent. And what does the master say? You wicked and lazy servant. You wicked and lazy servant. And then the master commands, throw this worthless servant to eternal darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Do you get that? Do you understand that? Is it surprising to you? Because we sort of relate to that guy, that guy who plays it safe. I know you people. I'm your pastor. You are play it safe people. You're the kind of guys who wear belts and suspenders. You're always, always going to play it safe. You're always hedging your bets, not taking a lot of risks, always doing what's predictable. And, and you are the kinds to do this, to sort of bury it and, and just sit on it because you're afraid of losing it. But the master doesn't call that playing it safe. He doesn't call that being smart. He calls that wicked and lazy. Do you see that? He calls that kind of life wicked and lazy. In other words, the master has absolutely no patience and no kind words for the kind of person who takes everything the master gives him and does nothing. The master has no pleasure in the person who receives everything the master gives and does nothing with it. He says, I would rather you have done something, anything, but doing nothing is not an option, you wicked and lazy servant. Do you understand the moral of that story there? That the only real failure in serving the master is not to do anything. The only real failure is not that you might try something and fail. The master wants you to try something. Do something. Take what he has given you, whatever he's placed inside of you, and put it to work. It might be embarrassing. It might require some time. It might require some practice for you. You might have to work in ways you haven't worked in a long, long time. You might have to risk your, your reputation. You might have to risk your, your sense of dignity. You might have to put some things up at risk, but that's what the master wants. He would rather you try something and fail than to simply do nothing. That's not acceptable. Want to know why your life doesn't seem to be going anywhere? Maybe it's because you're not doing anything. The master of all people knows exactly what he put in you from the beginning. He knows what he gave you. And he still 
watching for it. I think the thing that is, is so odd and heartbreaking about this passage is, is the last thing that that last servant says. He says, I, I, know, I know about you, Master. I know what you're like, and I know you're harsh, and I know that you're severe, and I was afraid of you, and I didn't want to disappoint you because you're harsh, but... But do you notice how with every other servant, what the master says is, well done, my good and faithful servant, enter into my happiness. Enter into my joy. Come, let's celebrate together. Isn't that amazing? This last servant says, I know you're harsh, but he doesn't seem to know that the master is happy, that the master is joyful. Some of you come into church, you file your way in, and you sit here on these pews, and honestly, you sit before a harsh and severe God. And God is a very fearsome and awesome God. Make no mistake. But also, make no mistake, he's a joyful God. And it is a pleasure to work for him and to serve him. He has put so much out of his love and grace, put so much into your life. And you may not have what other people have, but still, every single one of us, we've received so much that even those of us who just have a little, we have a lot. We just have to put it to work. And when you put it to work, you begin to find out some things about yourself, about what God has placed in you. But you also begin to find out some wonderful things about God himself. He is a joyful God, a wonderful, loving, gracious, and good God. And in the end, when you work and, and you continue to work for him, and he'll give you more and more work because faithfulness leads to faithfulness, but the whole thing simply erupts into a celebration. It becomes a whole life of celebration. Because when you begin to serve this master, you're going to find out that while you once thought he was very, very harsh in truth, he's very, very happy. It is a joyful thing to serve him and work for him. That's why I ask, what happened to you? All that God has given you, what happened to it? Where is it? When did you decide to bury it in the sand of your life? And why? Listen to me, there's still time for you. Why don't you go back, dig down deep again, find those treasures God put in you from the beginning, put them to work, put them to work, and enter into the master's joy. Pray with me. God, truly we are your servants and you have given us all different opportunities and different responsibilities, different gifts and abilities and talents. We're not all the same. And yet, Lord, we have the same responsibility and it is simply to do everything we can with everything you've given us until you come again and we answer to you. God, help us to stop comparing ourselves to others. Help us to stop rating and ranking our gifts compared to others. Lord, help us simply to look at what you've given us. Put it to work for you. 
Lord Jesus, some of us are wicked and lazy. Some of us don't take risks. Some of us don't like to be embarrassed. Some of us just simply, Lord, we fear failure. But help us, Lord, to recognize that the only real failure before you is to live lives of nothing, where we do nothing, try nothing, bring nothing back to you. Lord Jesus, you have blessed us all. You've blessed us with opportunities to serve you. Lord, I pray that this wonderful day given us today, that not a single moment's opportunity will pass by where we do not serve you with everything you've given us so that we can experience all of your joy. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.